before, um, well, you just stated it, uh, that uh, about the clemency. Look, we knew about a week or two ago that there was going to be a deal for uh, Brittany Griner, uh, and that was what the Russians had presented to us. John, thank you for being here today. I know that it's a joyous day for Brittany Griner and her family, and somewhat of a disappointment one for Paul Whelan, and he's uh, certainly said that in an interview. We actually just interviewed a woman, though, whose brother is being held in Iran last hour. Mike Emanuel had this very moving exchange. Watch here just a bit of it. One of the worst things for a hostage, the worst fears, is uh, being forgotten. She was asked the same question on July 15th, and she then also said, um, I'll have to get back to you. I don't know anything about that case. I hope he doesn't find out that the White House didn't know his name, because that would crush him. So that's Nedra. She is, her brother is being held in Iran, and there are 66 other Americans who are being held. Um, what can you say to those families today to reassure them that they won't be forgotten? Thanks, Dan, and thanks for having me. Um, we know. Uh, yesterday, you, you talked about the, the joyous day, and it is for the Griner family, but it was bittersweet here at the, at, at the White House. I mean, obviously, we're very glad to see Brittany released, uh, but we're reminded every time you get one American home, it's a reminder that there are still others being held unjustly overseas, and there are families here at home. Here's the holidays coming up that are going to miss that, them, that, that are going to be sitting at the table uh, with an empty chair. We're mindful of that, and we're working every day. You may not see it. You and I may not talk about it on TV, but I can assure you that the national security team is working very hard to get all unjustly held Americans, all wrongfully detained Americans, back home where they belong. And, and a lot of that work understandably, and I think rightly, has to be done quietly, has to be done out of the public sure. eye uh, to try to affect those proper negotiations. You know, details in this situation matter, and the details were a little confusing yesterday. I know you've tried to clarify, but let's just for everybody here. Uh, there's been confusion as to what the deal was. Was the deal, you could choose one of these Americans to come home, or you could only choose, you could only have Brittany to come home. That has been confusing. There's been, the reporting was different, and I want to get yeah. you on the record to say, what was the actual deal on the table? The only deal that the Russians uh, were willing uh, to, to, to put forward uh, was Brittany Griner for Victor Boot. We should note there has been mixed political reaction about giving up Victor Boot. Well, tonight there is overwhelming happiness, of course, that Brittany Griner has been freed. But you're right, there's mixed reaction about releasing this infamous Russian arms dealer while leaving Paul Whelan behind, with criticism from House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and Democratic Senate Foreign Relations Chairman Robert Menendez. But some Democrats say negotiating anything at all with Vladimir Putin while the U.S. is arming Ukraine has been incredibly tough. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 11th of December, year of our Lord, 2022. And there's your intro. 
yeah, we, uh, you know, it's more important to get a gay icon who's transitioning and is black, three check marks, like I said, than to get a guy that's been incarcerated way longer. Well, we don't give a fuck about that. So that's step one of the day. And then we have Twitter files, two, three, and four we're going to cover. Short woke session, but let's just get on in. Here is the media. If you're not for it, you're fucking racist or you're a piece of shit or whatever. Because this is a more important story than the Twitter stuff that they will not cover. But a lot of this, like a lot of things in America, are are, are driven by the fact that this young person is not white and is not straight. And if you don't believe that, you're not in tune with American politics. Paul. And how fascinating that so many of those right-wingers were talking about how she may have kneeled uh, in protest at times during the national anthem, not showing proper respect to the flag. A lot of these same people never once criticized the thugs, the, the insurrectionists, the terrorists that used the American flag that our men and women fought and died for for over 200 years, used it to bludgeon police officers and set up an American flag as a weapon of death. My God, they never miss a step to be able to fucking talk shit about people. They're just hateful. Biden releases an arms dealer and then attends a victims of gun violence. That guy will blow up the world. And one of my favorite is this. That This just says it all. Yeah, Putin's going to be scared of you. You redlined him so well that he invaded another country and you did nothing to stop it. Nothing's changed. He still owns stuff. He owns land. And you made two deals that were horrible for America. You know, it's not as bad as Obama, who gave up the Taliban 5 for that piece of shit Bergdahl. That, that was a shitty trade. A lot of conservatives. Whitlock um, goes in that we were fleeced. It's, it's 100% true. That was a really bad deal. We didn't get anything out of it. And the thing is, with the, with the actual press secretary up there lying it was reported by nbc news and then stealth edited that they had a choice between whelan or griner and they chose griner because she's a gay icon that you never heard of she's a wnba icon that you never heard of and then nbc went back and stealth edited it they reported from inside sources that said they had a choice between Whelan or Griner. They had that choice, but they chose the three check mark intersectional fucking bingo dude, chick, black, gay. They're garbage humans. Here's Tucker. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. Really? Oh, but it clearly was a choice. And we know it was a choice because the first accounts of the prisoner swap with Russia said it was a choice. 
Earlier today, Andrea Mitchell of NBC, this is someone who's been in Washington covering news for more than 50 years, someone who is deeply supportive of the Joe Biden administration, contributed to a story that contained this line, quote, the Kremlin gave the White House the choice of either Griner or Whelan, or none. So Mitchell's piece attributed this fact to a, quote, senior U.S. official. It was not a guess, it was sourced. And then, as with the early reporting on Paul Pelosi last month, that account was scrubbed and sanitized. And the new version of the NBC story assures us that, quote, the Kremlin ultimately gave the White House the choice of either Griner or no one. In other words, Joe Biden's version of events is now perfectly in sync with the official NBC News version of events. Of course. Now, we missed this. A writer on Substack called Jordan Schachtel noticed it, and we're glad that he did. This kind of thing happens all the time in Washington, constantly, usually without the public knowing that it happened. So at this point, we can assume the obvious. The Biden administration chose Brittany Griner over Paul Whelan, the basketball player over the Marine facing 16 years. There was only room for one in the lifeboat, and the Marine got left behind. Well, why'd they make that choice? Well, you should know that Whelan is a Trump voter, and he made the mistake of saying so on social media. He's paying the price for that now. Brittany Griner is not. She's got very different politics. Brittany Griner despises the United States. She's been very vocal about that. This country is so repellent and immoral that two years ago she said, quote, I honestly feel we should not play the national anthem during our basketball season. She hates the country so much she doesn't want to hear its anthem. That's the kind of position that gets you rewarded by Joe Biden. Hate America? Perfect. We'll free the guy who sold weapons to drug cartels to get you out early. He's spot on. It basically tells you that if you're a white person, you can go get fucked because Biden don't care. Everything they do, every penny they spent is racist and against the Constitution, against the oaths they swore. You cannot do what they're doing where it's just for gay people or trans people or black people or Latino people. We don't do that in America. We're a meritocracy. If Black Sabbath so bad, why can Jay-Z fucking own me as a person? He could own me as a slave if he wanted to. The motherfucker's rich as shit. How about Samuel L. Jackson? But my favorite soundbite as we go into Twitter file one, two, and three is MSNBC, and did I do it, accuses conservatives of setting conditions for stochastic terrorism. That was the lead on Veshi because they don't want to touch that they are the fascists. The group GLAD has so far documented 124 incidents of anti-LGBTQ plus protests and threats targeting drag events. Much of the anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric has been fueled by Christian nationalist think tanks like the Heritage Foundation, which have provided conservative lawmakers across the country with blueprints for anti-trans legislation. The journalist Imara Jones says that these groups operate as middlemen between far-right internet forums pushing conspiracy theories 
and conservative legislatures. Writing in Newsweek, she says, quote, I and my team of journalists have documented how a coordinated campaign of right-wing politicians, hate groups, think tanks, and Christian nationalist billionaires have created an ecosystem to spawn hundreds of anti-trans bills and to create a culture of fear. This effort to dehumanize trans people picked up by anti-trans figures like Matt Walsh create conditions for stochastic terrorism like we saw at Club Q. Now, before we go in, I'm going to play the only two soundbites you're going to hear about any of these drops because nobody touched them. ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSDNC, New York Times, WAPO, nothing. They're running away from this story like they do every story when the left is caught at their action. What they do. So here are two sound bites breaking it down before we go into it. Another story we're following, Twitter CEO Elon Musk has fired one of his company's top attorneys, a name that is very familiar to a lot of people when it comes to recent investigations. This comes days after the release of Twitter records concerning the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. There's more fallout tonight in the so-called Twittergate scandal. New revelations from a reporter given access to internal company emails have resulted in one of Twitter's top execs being fired. Lawmakers now have fresh accusations of censorship and collusion. Elon Musk says Twitter's deputy general counsel, Jim Baker, is out. In light of concerns about Baker's possible role in suppression of information important to the public dialogue, he was exited from Twitter today. Colby Hall, founding editor of Mediaite.com. Okay, so Barry Weiss, this independent journalist used to work for The New York Times, releasing this second installment of the Twitter files. And in her thread, as we were hearing from Joe, uh, Weiss claimed Twitter had shadow banned some accounts. Twitter claims uh, that this is actually visibility filtering. What do these terms mean? Uh, it's a good question, and thanks for having me. <clears throat> so conservatives have long claimed that there was some sort of the, the there was a thumb on the scale. Shadow banning means that uh, you know their tweets were not being as visible. Um, that there were people behind the scenes that were hiding their tweets or not letting them go viral and therefore changing the dialogue. And, you know, Twitter was really, really strident saying that they didn't do this. Jack Dorsey said this in a congressional testimony. Uh, and they even have a sort of Twitter blog that says we don't engage in shadow banning. It, that proves to, that, that looks like it was a lie if we were to take what Barry Weiss reported at face value, um, which by the way, we, you know, there's, there should be more reporting about this. But I think this is really embarrassing for, for Twitter or for at least the last regime, because it, it really kind of proves, it appears to prove that the conservatives were not conspiracy theorists and not paranoid. They were right to believe that their their material was being hidden. Now, you could argue that it wasn't just partisan. Some of the people that were cited are known for sort of sharing garbage and misinformation, um, and that has nothing to do with partisan beliefs. Um, but yeah, this is, I think this is got half the traction, as the reporter said earlier, as the first Twitter files, but I think this one's actually more embarrassing and, and more damning for Twitter than the first. Now, those that have been with the show, remember I covered this extensively. Time actually bragging that they rigged the election. Now we see an exponentially defined proof they did it. I'm just going to have one slide per, and I'm going to read these. This is fucking what fascism looked like. It, this is exactly what fascism looks like. These, the people that spend all their time calling you a fascist, 
silencing you, banning you. I mean, we're going to play something from Dan Bondingo, who's been wiped out all over the net. I'm no different. I'm just a little dude. YouTube blocked me. Twitter suspended me. Facebook suspended me. And I'm a nobody podcaster. No offense, there's just 50 of you. There's not like a th- tens of thousands listening to this show. They blocked this show on YouTube prior to the election. Using some lame, I used Fox News media. Yet I had done shows, they didn't even touch it. A new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees build blacklists preventing disfavored tweets from trending and actively limiting the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing users. Twitter once had a mission to give everyone the power to create and share ideas, blah, blah, blah. They didn't do it. Take, for example, Stanford doctor Jay Bakakara, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending because he was right. Or consider Dan Bondingo, who was a point which placed on a search blacklist. You couldn't find him. Charlie Kirk, don't amplify. Twitter denied that it would does such things. In 2018, Twitter Vajay God, then head of legal policy and trust, and Kavan Bikakor, head of product, said, we do not shadow ban. What many people call shadow banning, Twitter executives, employees called visibility flit- filtering, or VF. So once again, they did the uh, famous Bill Clinton, we're going to argue what the word is, is, is. Think about visibility filtering as a, being a way for us to suppress the, what people see to different levels. It's a very powerful tool, one senior Twitter employee told us. VF refers to Twitter's control over user visibility. Use VF to block searches for individual users, to limit the scope of particular tweets, discoverability, to block select users' posts from ever appearing on the trending page. All without the user's knowledge. We control visibility quite a bit, and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit. Normal people do not even know how much we do, one engineer told us. Two other employees confirmed. The group that decided whether to limit the reach of certain users was a strategic response team, Global Escalation, or SRT Get. It handed 200 cases a day that you, my dear listeners, could have been blocked on Twitter. And understand, we're talking about Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Google. All one company, they're doing the same thing. But there existed a level beyond official ticketing, beyond the rank-and-file moderators following company policy on paper. That is the Site Integrity Policy Poly Escalation Support. Man, they have a lot of fancy names. This secret group included head of legal policy and trust, Vajay, Roth, and Dorsey, and Prague Arwal. This is where the biggest, most politically sensitive decisions got made. Think high follower count, controversial. Another Twitter employee told us for those, there would be no ticket or anything. One of the accounts that rose to the level of scrutiny was Libs of TikTok, an account that was on the trends blacklist and was designated as do not take action on user without consulting sis The account which Chaye Bach began in November 2020 and now boasts over 
1.4 million followers, was subjected to six suspensions in 2022 alone, Raychuk says. Each time, Raychuk was blocked from posting for as long as a week. Twitter repeatedly informed Raychuk that she has been suspended for violating hateful conduct. That's what I got done for saying trans people have a mental illness and shouldn't be in the military. She was, uh, in turn, she was suspended 17 times for posting what liberals say. Every one of those videos I play is what they say. It's not modified. It's not altered. It's their TikTok video. But because they know it's so fucking fringe and child abusey and sexually disgusting, they don't want that out there. It's not good for Democrats. But in an internal memo from October 2022, after her seventh suspension, the committee acknowledged that LTT has not directly engaged in behavior violating of the hateful conduct policies. A whole bunch of emails. The committee justified her suspension internally by claiming her post encouraged online harassment of hospitals and medical providers, that gender-affirming health care is equivalent to child abuse or grooming. It is by majority of Americans. Compare this to what happened when Rachel herself was doxxed as November 21st, 2022. Photo of her home, her address was posted, tweet that garnered 10,000 likes, and they didn't take her down. When Rachel told Twitter that her address had been disseminated, she says Twitter support responded with this message, reviewed the report content, and didn't find it violated any rules. Of course not. In internal Slack messages, Twitter employees spoke of using technicalities to restrict the visibility of tweets and subjects. Here, Joel Roth, Twitter's then global head of trust and direct message to a colleague. Let me pop this up because this is good. A lot of times, SIs use technically spam enforcement as ways to solve problems created by safety enforcing their policies, which again isn't a problem per se, but it keeps us from addressing the root cause of issues, which is our safety policies, because we just make this fucking shit up as we go along. Six days later, in a direct message with an employee, Roth said, one of the biggest areas I'd love research support on is non-removal policy, intervention like disabling engagements and de-amplification visibility filtering. The hypothesis underlining much of what we're implementing is that if exposure to misinformation directly causes harm, we should use remediation that reduces exposures and limiting and a bunch of fancy fucking words to say, I'm a gay guy. I don't like people seeing how fucking perverted we are. Roth wrote, and she redoes it, so I'm going to do it. He added, yeah, 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 yeah. There is more to come on this story, which was reported by Abigail Schreier, Schellenberger, and a bunch of other people behind the fucking paywall. The authors have brought and expanding access to Twitter files. The only condition we agreed to is that the material would be first be published on Twitter. We're just getting started on our reporting. Watch Matt Talibi for the next one. So, why do you say that's bad? Well, as we'll see in other ones, this was pushed by the DOJ, the DHS, and the FBI. It just wasn't a private company. It was a lot of people. They were all involved. And if you really, really want to bring it to a head, and this was a conservative thing, they lied under oath. So while they were ignoring this, here's just two random sound bites I'm going to put up, what they were covering the next day.
Now to concerns about virus surges nationwide. The numbers of COVID and flu cases are one and a half times higher than last week, and weekly flu cases are their highest ever on record. New York state officials are now strongly recommending that people again wear masks indoors and in crowded outdoor areas in response to the rising COVID and flu numbers at a time while RSV cases remain high. Let's bring in ABC News medical contributor, Dr. Darian Sutton. Dr. Sutton, good morning to you. Always great to see you. So we're seeing this rise in COVID and flu cases following Thanksgiving. What should people expect with the upcoming holidays? Uh, unfortunately, we have to prepare for more cases. Uh, last time we spoke before the Thanksgiving holiday, we had a bit of a stabilization. But recently, after the Thanksgiving holiday, we've seen increasing numbers, as you said, of both the flu and COVID. Why do you say that the Philippines is the canary in the coal mine and that democracies around the world need to pay attention to what has happened there? It already has spread all around the world. I mean, just look at what happened in the United States in January 6, and then look at the kinds of, of the way identity politics has been hit with information operations splintering American society. It's almost like when you look at what's happened, you have Russian disinformation and information operations able to go to the molecular level of American democracy. This this is what's happened anywhere around the world where these American social media platforms, and now you have, you're going to have to add TikTok, but where the technology has insidiously manipulated us. And, and, the, and the book lays out all the data. Yeah, they're getting ready to try to put COVID back because COVID's what they're going to talk about. Russia, Russia, Russia. And I'm sure I'll get other sound bites where that laughing fool from Mediate talks about it. But... Here are two sound bites. They're a little long, but they deserve their time. Dan Bondingo, who has been filtered off YouTube, how to go to Rumble, Facebook, Google demonetized him, and Twitter put him on a deamplification, and Charlie Kirk, because they deserve to hear their voices heard, because the federal government silenced them. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I've got the facts and the receipts to back it up. So what are we going to do about it? Well, I'll put that question directly to a member of Congress. Plus, real talk. Why does the Republican Party keep losing elections? But more importantly, how is it that we keep losing major voting blocks, including black Americans? What the hell's going on? We don't fix it. We're not going to be able to save our country, folks. And they're at it again. The left is pushing to bring back mask mandates. How many times are we going to do this? But haven't we done all it before? Of course, have we done this before? Isn't the pandemic over? Biden said so. A doctor who was censored for his views on COVID is here to look at the lasting damage of the left's decisions. Plus, listen, let me apologize to America in advance. But yes, Hillary Clinton is back again. Me, you, and Pete Hegseth. We're all going to watch her carpool karaoke performance together. Because if I have to suffer, you do too. Don't miss our hot takes coming up. Folks, this is a really serious story for me. So this week, I'm in my house. It's Thursday night, and my phone starts blowing up. Now, because I'm an old man, I go to sleep early or whatever, right? I notice I have it on Do Not Disturb, and I have something like 2,000 notifications on my phone. I'm like, what's going on? Did somebody die, God forbid? So I open my phone, turn it off, Do Not Disturb, and it turns out Twitter Files Part 2 is unleashed by Elon Musk and Barry Weiss. And it turns out that now we not only know the Hunter Biden story was suppressed, that was Twitter files part one, but in part two, we find out that conservatives have been suppressed too by a secret program to ban and blacklist conservatives. And who was on that list? 
What has two thumbs and is public enemy number one to the left? This guy. That's right. Matter of fact, I was specifically named on this thing. Now, and by being on a Twitter blacklist, that is. I haven't spoken about this much on this show, the radio show, or the podcast, because I don't like to whine because I'm not a liberal snowflake. But it's time I told you the truth. It's not just about Twitter, folks. The Twitter blacklist was just the start. Big tech has had a target on my back for a long time, and it's not just them. As you can see in this Reuters article we just had up there, that Reuters, that YouTube has banned me as well. Why did YouTube ban me from their platform? I'm going to get into this in a second, why they were all doing this. But is this, are they colluding with each other? YouTube banned me and wiped me off their platform. But that's not it. It's not just Twitter and YouTube. You may say, oh, come on. What are you, alleging some kind of conspiracy with big tech? It's only YouTube and Twitter that blacklisted or banned you. Oh, no, no, no. It's a parent company, YouTube, too. Google, which, as you can see in this other article, wiped us off the ad platform as well. Gosh, that's kind of strange. So Google, YouTube, and Twitter all have little old Dan Bongino, this little kid from Queens. Look at me. Little old me is public enemy number one. Why is that? Well, at least it's just, you know, YouTube, Google, and Twitter. No, it's not. Look, no, it's not. You ever see that Leo DiCaprio, a DiCaprio giphy on Twitter when he's pointing and stuff? No, it's not. It's Facebook, too. Isn't that really strange? Look at this ABC affiliate, WPDE or whatever. Talking about how Facebook wants to kind of suppress political content and it would affect who? Oh, Ben Shapiro and Dan Bongino. Facebook, ScrewTube, Google, Twitter. Oh, and well, we see Twitter, we knew about that. You know, Twitter shadow bans me, which again broke on Thursday. Why are they coming after me? Folks, you think it has something to do with my role in trying to build out this parallel free speech economy? My role in Rumble early on in Parlor in parallel economy, my company itself? You think it has something to do with the fact that I'm on radio, on podcast, and on Fox, and they hate it? Folks, it's not just my politics. It's that they don't want the competition in a parallel economy either. That's why they have a big target on my chest. Now, here's the big question here, folks. It's not just as Twitter and these big tech, uh, tech platforms targeted me and banned me from their platforms. By the way, I was banned from YouTube and Google Ads, so you know, because I said cloth masks and surgical masks don't work in stopping COVID, which, by the way, is scientific fact. Did I ever get an apology from them? No. Will I ever get an apology? Hell no. They're little communists. Of course, I'm not going to get an apology. But here's the big question. Not are they targeting me. It's who's directing them. Because if government is directing these big tech platforms to target conservatives, we got a serious problem here, and that problem's called the, what's it called again? That's right, the Constitution. There's an app for that. I've actually got it on my phone. No, I'm not kidding. There's an app for the Constitution. We have this thing called the First Amendment, where the government's not supposed to abridge free speech. So why was the government and the State Department then also watching me, in addition to Google, in addition to YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, Remember this Judicial Watch FOIA request? They so strange how he said that under oath. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, public enemy number one, because you're trying to build out this parallel economy. That seems kind of mean. The government may be involved, too, including the FBI in directing some of this. I mean, we already showed some of that. At least Twitter told the truth about it and admitted they shadow banned. No, you'd be wrong, too, because that didn't happen either. Because the media covered up for them, and Twitter covered up for themselves, too, and lied about shadow banning. 
First, we put together a little mini montage here of all the media people who told people like me that it was a big conspiracy theory that we were being shadow banned, despite the fact that it was a conspiracy, but it was never theoretical. It's true. Shadow banning is something that he's brought up, which mm. is essentially this concept that Twitter would allow you to post something, but then effectively make it invisible, make it not show up in searches. Right. This has been widely debunked. You would hear all these congressional Republicans be like, why am I being shadow banned? Why did you ban my friend? All these things like that. And now yeah. we realize that the, the, that was a canard. The right talks about censorship and shadow banning, which there's been no real proof of yet. Yeah, I'd say I'd wait for their apology, but the truth is I would be a fossil then. So they're tyrants. That's what they do. They're never going to apologize. Hey, at least Twitter told the truth, right? So Jack Dorsey, former CEO of Twitter, he testified under oath. You know that right hand thing again? You raise it, you swear to tell the whole truth. He was asked pretty directly if they shadow banned. And you know what? At least he told the truth and said, yes, we're coming clean. I shadow banned. Here, you can listen yourself. Are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. Uh, uh, guys, you, the production team obviously screwed up. I told you to play the clip where Jack Dorsey admitted to shadow banning. Oh, wait, but that's not the clip. I'm sorry. You know, he, he appears to have lied. All right, you're saying to yourself, ah, he just screwed up. He misspoke. You know, he's given other interviews later where he admitted to shadow banning at Twitter. No, no, they're telling me here it is. This is Jack Dorsey talking to the media, finally admitting to shadow banning. Here, here check this out. I think a lot of the, in, the, the statements behind the statement and the question behind the question is, um, look, shadow banning is a very widely defined term. There's not one single definition. The real question behind the question is, are we doing something according to political ideology or viewpoints? And we are not, period. I, 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 you know, I'm really sorry, but that's that's him not telling the truth about it again. Well, at least he came clean on Twitter when he tweeted this. Oh, no, no, that's right. We certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints at Jack. Okay, now you're saying to yourself, okay, he may have misspoken three times, at least when he was asked directly by Dave Rubin, good friend of mine, by the way, on Twitter, if they shadow ban, he probably came clean then, right? I mean, he was asked a simple question. Do you shadow ban based on political beliefs? A simple yes or no will do. Jack replied, no. So finally, I'll give you one final out. Maybe Jack went rogue. Maybe it was a beard. Who the hell knows what was going on? I don't know what they were doing, right? Maybe he just went rogue and did his own thing. And Twitter didn't know. Twitter was going to admit to shadow banning. Jack speaking for himself. Well, you'd be wrong again, shocker. Another curveball coming your way because Twitter, on their own Twitter account, on the thing called Twitter that they own, on their own account at Twitter, said people are asking us if we shadow ban. We don't. Read more to get all the facts. <laughs> now, you know all the kids, right? They go to Wikipedia for the facts. At least Wikipedia is going to clear it up for everyone, right? Here's Wikipedia. Shadow banning became popular, popularized in 2018 as a conspiracy theory when Twitter shadow banned Republicans. Folks, listen, this is a serious topic. We are five steps down the road to fascism and totalitarianism in the United States. Every single totalitarian regime in human history has suppressed free speech first. That is a fact. There is no way out of that. Newt Gingrich summed it up best on Fox earlier this week. Take a listen.
Look, what you're seeing is, is what originally fascism was all about, which is the idea that big government gets together with big business to control the country against small business and against individuals. And I think what we're going to find out, what we're beginning to find out is that the FBI was deeply involved in all this. And I think we're going to find out all of these people were violating the First Amendment, behaving illegally, uh, and that this is a much deeper and bigger mess than people realize. Folks, if we don't fix this, we're not going to have a country left. You might as well throw the Constitutional Republic in the wastebasket. So now that the left can no longer deny Twitter's been censoring conservatives, what are we going to do about it? Action matters. Talk is cheap. Coming up, we'll ask Oversight Committee member Byron Donalds, plus Charlie Kirk, who was also a victim of this Twitter shadow banning, is here on the left's attempt to squash his influence with the next generation. Unfiltered continues in about three minutes. So the shocking round two of the Twitter files showed that my next guest was also shadow banned and put on a do not amplify list by Twitter executives. Joining me now, friend of the show, Charlie Kirk. Charlie, you know, this is the kind of thing you and I have been activists against for a long time. This is what the third world socialists and communists yes. do. The first step is to crush free speech. And you and I, amongst many others, I'm assuming we're victims of it. Well, that's right. We're, we're in this together, Dan, as some of the top people that were individually targeted by Twitter. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Well, for you, Dan, your podcast is huge. You reach millions of people. You also have been incredibly successful in the parallel economy with Rumble and other things. And I think I'd venture a guess that they also targeted me uh, because of Turning Point USA, because of the work we're doing on college campuses and high school campuses, the millions and millions of young people uh, that we are reaching and with persuasive and compelling messaging. You add those two things together, that, that equals do not amplify. That's the smoking gun, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Charlie, uh, I, the drop on Thursday night was horrifying. I'm sure your phone was blowing up. I mean, we and you were texting each other uh, a couple of days ago saying the same thing. What the hell's going on here? And I think you're right. Yes. But I think the most important part of this, and I'd love to get your take on it, is this may not just be big tech. Yeah, they are private companies. I get that. But the FBI was meeting with them before the election, Charlie. Yeah, we right. already know that. And last time I checked, the FBI is a branch of the government. Yeah, that's right. And so this should be illegal. And so the next question is, why did Twitter do this and who told them to do this? And were they threatened yes. to do this by a certain government agency? Did the CDC threaten them? Did the FDA threaten them? Did Anthony Fauci? Did the FBI? Did some other DOJ threaten them? Because, Dan, I met with Jack Dorsey in the summer of 2018. It was a warm meeting. He denied that shadow banning was something that they were doing at Twitter. I didn't find it that persuasive at the time, but I felt as if right. that he was at least trying to meet with me. Something changed. Right. Something changed where yeah. I think Twitter was threatened by our government to come after you, Dan, and come after me individually and, of I course, the entire movement collectively. Listen, I don't disagree with you, my friend, and I think with these coming drops, we're going to find out more. Charlie, thanks for your time. Yes. Thanks, Dan. So what's the GOP going to do to fix this free speech crisis we're in with big tech? Well, I addressed this last night after round two of the Twitter files were dropped. To the Republicans in Congress who now are about to take over in January, you better grow some moose nuts and you better do something about this or we're not going to have a damn country left. This is the public square. Mm. Now, I, I hate to beleaguer the point. 
and I have a couple Tucker sound bites to play, but I want to play this sound bite, and this is in reference to Sam Britton. Because once again, we just saw that. I'm sorry, let me mute my damn freaking phone that's going crazy. I actually got my phone fixed, which is great, not having to shatter the screen. But we just released a prisoner because of their sexuality. And now we have a guy in charge of fucking nuclear waste that's getting caught doing all sorts of kinky shit. And we have Twitter, Google, the entire world ensuring that you don't have a voice because you're a normal and you don't buy into their shit. And no media will cover these Twitter things. And the next one, three and four, is about Trump. And they won't cover this sick fucking shit. And that's not a small category. The U.S. government is the largest employer well on planet Earth. Millions and millions of people work for the U.S. government. What do they do all day? Well, unfortunately, due to privacy laws, we can't really answer that question in any detail. We don't have a right to know what they do all day. It's only our money. Shut up, surf. But there are hints that suggest what they're doing all day. One of them comes from the Department of Energy. Until recently, a young MIT graduate called Sam Brinton, another genius, oversaw the disposal of this country's nuclear waste. And that's a big job. So how did he do it? What did Sam Brinton do all day? Well, we checked his Instagram, where he posted several nude photos of himself tied down by ropes. There's another picture of him standing over college students wearing fetish masks. So Sam Brinton did that. Now, how you may ask, as a non-federal employee, is that related to nuclear waste disposal? Well, we didn't go to MIT, so we're going to let Sam Britton himself explain. Watch. For me, it's the first openly gender fluid person is the most important word there being openly. A lot of people ask, what in the world does your gender fluid identity have to do with nuclear waste? And I will respond with, I am given the opportunity to serve my country as I am. And that's a really important aspect of my work because I work on nuclear waste management. So you'll notice a theme that connects all of these videos, that interview and the TikTok videos we already showed, talking about yourself, me, 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 wonderful me, would you like to hear more about me? Talking about yourself, narcissism is a key point of the workday for a lot of people, and it's an essential part of nuclear waste management. Also, Sam Britton stole women's underwear, which doesn't seem, strictly speaking, related to his job at the Department of Energy, but we're not bigots, so we're trying to be open-minded here. And we will say, and this goes into his category as a win, Sam Britton didn't just steal underwear. He was very serious about stealing other people's underwear and apparently wearing them. So serious that he paid the price for it. And again, you've got to give him that. Last month, as you likely know, Sam Britton was charged with a felony for stealing other people's underwear in other people's luggage at the airport in Minneapolis. So he was committed to it. Then last night we learned that Sam Britton has been charged with yet another felony for stealing more underwear at the airport in Las Vegas. So here you have your tax dollars at work. We wonder what the Biden administration thinks about this. Their executives running around stealing women's underwear. But they're not going to criticize it. They're not bigots. Stealing other people's underwear from airport carousels could be a critical part of nuclear waste disposal. And they know it. They know it. Now the rest of us know it. So you've got to wonder, take eight steps back, you've got to wonder what Paul Whelan thinks of all this. You've heard his name. Whelan is the Iraq veteran, the former Marine, who's currently serving 16 years, really the rest of his useful life, in a Russian penal colony. And he's still there tonight because the Biden administration decided to bring home a female basketball player busted for weed instead. 
And they did that because she had a lot more friends in the media and a much more interesting personal life. And in some sense, if we're being honest, you kind of got to blame Paul Whelan for remaining behind bars tonight. If only Paul Whelan had stolen someone else's underwear from an airport carousel or advertised his sexual fetishes on Instagram or decided to switch genders and therefore become holy, if only he had done that, Joe Biden would have responded. He would have sent the 101st Airborne and Paul Whelan would be home tonight in a bondage mask in his own house. Of course, he's been in a Russian prison, so he didn't know the rules have changed. You can't really blame him. Chadwick Moore. Spot on. I'm telling you, go to jail. Say you're a fucking they. Get you out of jail. That's how this place works. So to beleaguer the point some more, I got a couple Tuckers, and I have a great soundbite by Jesse Waters, who talks to this doctor. And as a person who is sitting here 10 plus months later, still sick, can't get appointments. I can't even get a drug I really need because they lied about COVID, about masks, six foot. They lied about the vax working. They lied about every possible part of this. And they deplatform people who are telling truthful things that the CDC and that piece of shit Focky said later. There's a bunch of people dead tonight. There's a bunch of kids with mental illness. There's a bunch of people with ailments that could have been corrected like mine much sooner, but you couldn't see a fucking doctor because Twitter, Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, and the mainstream media, there was only one thing you could say. We're all going to die, and we won't die if we elect Joe Biden. The main thing that we learned on Friday night, last Friday night, with the release of those previously undisclosed documents from Twitter, is not that social media companies censor conservatives. Obviously, we knew that. No one's surprised to have it confirmed. No one denied it in the first place. No, what we learned on Friday is that big tech works aggressively and in secret with government agencies to subvert the outcome of what the rest of us assumed were free and fair elections. During the 2020 election, Twitter did this with the help of the FBI, committing censorship on behalf of one candidate while working to hurt the other candidate. It is hard to imagine a more brazen attack on our democracy than this. This is not how our system is supposed to work. In fact, it's illegal. What Twitter did is a violation of the First Amendment, as well as of established campaign finance law. They never declared those contributions to the Biden campaign. That's a crime. Thanks to the reporting of Matt Taibbi, who received access to these documents from Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, we know that this happened. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. But you wouldn't know it happened if you got your news from legacy media outlets in the U.S. In the days since Taibbi's jaw-dropping scoops, none of them have followed up on the story. And so they dismissed the story as entirely normal. Of course the FBI was working secretly with Twitter and the Biden campaign to control your brain by limiting your access to factual information. That's how elections work. Or they're attacking Matt Taibbi personally for daring to write the story. So the same people who've spent weeks defending billionaire con artist Sam Bankman-Fried, who as of tonight you'll be happy to know was still in the Bahamas, unindicted, those same people are telling you that the real criminal here is the guy who's uncovering illegal censorship in a presidential campaign. <laughs> it's hard to believe they're saying that. Oh, but they are. Here's a selection. 
Elon Musk retweeted the quote-unquote Twitter files, a collection of documents that detail how the social media platform supposedly buried a story about a Ukrainian energy company paying money to the president's son, Hunter Biden. First of all, I just have to say that this whole thing is just ridiculous, and it's not true. It was amazing to me that all of these sort of Fox News or whoever else jumped on this without ever fully understanding that it was basically meaningless what happened. And it actually turned out to be a good thing. Musk seems fixated on a two-year-old story about Hunter Biden's laptop. This is what we in the cable business like to call a hot take. And it reveals Elon Musk's profound ignorance of the First Amendment. We now know it was a really helpful thing, actually, the Twitter files today, because we got to see how content moderation works. We got to see how when a group of people with differing political ideas and ideologies and views gets together in the spirit of making a platform safe and healthy. <laughs> There's just so much there. Al Sharpton teaming up with the former George W. Bush aide to tell you censorship is good. The first lady saying, this Ukrainian company allegedly paid Hunter Biden when there's no allegedly about it. Everyone involved has already admitted it. And then best of all, Ali Velshi, we in the cable business. Ali Velshi has never been in the news business. People in the news business cover the news. Propagandists censor and distort the news. And that's what you're watching there. Thankfully, as always, their propaganda is crude and not very effective, mostly because it's so unbelievably not believable. Censorship, explains Brandy Zed Drozny, like a slightly annoyed kindergarten teacher, censorship is called content moderation. When we hide facts from you that you need in order to cast an informed vote in a presidential election, that's, quote, safe and healthy. Hiding facts from you is safe and healthy. Is there anyone who actually believes that? Well, judging by NBC's tanking ratings, not many people actually do believe that, but they're saying it anyway. Here's Michael Steele of MSNBC, the former RNC chairman, by the way, letting you know that actually revealing the mechanics of censorship is itself an attack on free speech. Putting those things back on the platform, uh, juxtaposition with the argument that he's all about free speech, um, really undermines the central, some of the central tenets of free speech is that it is, it is about, yes, the freedom of you to say things, but not at the harm or expense of someone else. And so when you're perpetuating lies and, and, and so forth, um, you're really kind of laughing in the face of this idea of what the platform he claims is supposed to be. So any day you get to see Michael Steele misuse the words juxtaposition, obviously it's a good day. But the payoff really was his little lecture on constitutional law. The essential tenet of free speech, Michael Steele just told you, the essential tenet is that you as an American citizen are never allowed to say things that other people object to. Okay, Michael Steele. There's a ghost on Twitter some weeks. No one could see him. The media told us we were imagining things. Headline after headline told us, move along, there's nothing to see here. Every reporter said Twitter is in shadow banning Republicans, even though they were. The CEO at the time, Jack Dorsey, even went under oath to say the same thing. Uh, social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. I don't know what Twitter is up to. It sure looks like to me that they're censoring people and they ought to stop it. Uh, are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. Turns out he lied under oath, lied to Congress, 
which is supposed to be a crime, and he lied to you. Twitter wasn't just censoring conservative speakers. Elon said today they were even censoring Republican political campaigns. Millions of voters and constituents couldn't see what Republican campaigns were saying or what Republican politicians were saying. And while this was happening, Democrat politicians, Democrat campaigns were pumped straight into your bloodstream. A $40 billion company rigged America's political debate to help their preferred political party. A private company was doing political favors for Democrat candidates. Election laws were broken. Elections were interfered with. Twitter was providing in-kind contributions to Democrat candidates. And none of this was disclosed. It was all done in the dark. And Republican fundraising was affected. Democracy was poisoned. The former CEO of Jack Dorsey knew exactly what he was doing. And he had an army of lobbyists dominating Democrat regulators in D.C. so he could get away with it. I think oftentimes companies see themselves as reacting to regulation. And I, I think we need to take more of an education role. So I don't fear it. I want to make sure that we're educating regulators on what's possible, what we're seeing, and, and where we could go. When you say educating regulators, that, that's initiating a regulation. I mean, you, 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 you mean... Not necessarily. I mean, we might just be talking... educating regulators, who are these regulators? Th these are folks who, who might be um, tasked with coming up with a proposal for particular legislation or, or laws um, to present to um, uh, legislators. And so Twitter owned Washington. Where's the FBI? Traditionally, the Bureau would investigate political corruption, but the FBI was in on it. Twitter's top lawyer, James Baker, was a former FBI lawyer. He was planted at the company to oversee political censorship after successfully orchestrating the Russia hoax. As Elon was dropping these new documents, he intercepted them and started scrubbing and got caught and then got canned. Musk says documents were deleted this former FBI lawyer destroyed company property and destroyed evidence. Remember, in 2016, his team fabricated evidence against Trump, and now he's destroying evidence to help Biden. It's an FBI lawyer. Plus, Baker wasn't the only Fed working there. Twitter headquarters was swimming with ex-CIA and FBI agents. They all had C-suite offices and held top company positions. The head of Twitter's strategic response team, Jeff Carlton, worked for both the CIA and the FBI. Is that a coincidence? Was Twitter being used as a back-end government program? Was Twitter being used as a surveillance platform, an intelligence operation, a psyops program? Has the Democratic Party joined forces with American intelligence to subvert elections? and crush American conservatives? And the corporate media not only won't touch the scandal, but they'll scandalize any reporter who reports it. When Jack Dorsey breezes through interviews on CNN, it all makes sense. The real question behind the question is, are we doing something according to political ideology or viewpoints? And we are not period. We do not look at content with regards to political viewpoint or ideology. We need to constantly show that we are not adding our own bias, which I fully admit is, is, left, is, is more left-leaning. But that was all a lie. 
How many lies can you tell on CNN and get away with it? Twitter was helping Democrats suppress the votes and sway elections. Big tech, big media and the Democrats are why people don't trust elections. And the saddest part about all this is while they were suppressing political speech, they were censoring doctors, medical professionals who were banned for warning that lockdowns would hurt kids, that school closures would hurt kids. Here's one of the top doctors who was throttled by Fauci and Twitter. It really hurt public health. If we'd had an open discussion, Laura, the schools would not have closed in the fall of 2020. If we had an open discussion, the lockdowns would have been lifted much earlier because the data and evidence behind them was so bad. Twitter, by suppressing scientific discussion, harmed science, harmed children, and harmed the American public. Imagine how different the, that all the small businesses mm. could stay open, all the people that wouldn't have missed their cancer screenings, all the kids that wouldn't have to be depressed and suicidal, that, that all the learning loss that could have been avoided if we just had an open scientific discussion. Okay, to the next two, which is about Donald Trump. This is when we actually see that the federal government, in cahoots of the DNC, rigged an election. I'm just going to leave this picture up as I read because you don't need to see the other ones. I'm reading them, and you probably read them too. This is the Donald Trump removal. The world knows much of the story of what happened between riots at Capitol 6 and the removal of Trump on the 8th. We show you what hasn't been revealed, the erosion of standards within a company and months before J6, decisions of high-ranking executives to violate their own policy, and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. This first installment covers the period before the election through January 6th. Tomorrow, Schellenberger will detail the chaos inside Twitter on January 7th. On Sunday, Barry Weiss will reveal the secret internal communications from the key dates of January 8th, which I'll look for. I don't know if it's been released yet. Whatever your opinion on the decision to remove Trump that day, the internal communication at Twitter between January 6th, January 8th, have clear historical import. Even Twitter's employees understood in that moment it was a landmark moment in the annals of speech. As soon as they finished banning Trump, Twitter execs started proceeding, processing new power. They were prepared to ban future presidents of White Houses, perhaps even Joe Biden. The new administration, says one exec, will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. Actual message. It is clear that another account is being used for purpose of evading a ban. It is also subject to suspension. For government accounts such as POTUS and White House, we will not suspend those accounts, but will take action to limit their use. However, these accounts will be transitioned over time to the new administration in due course and will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary because they're, they're one of us. Twitter execs removed Trump in part over what one executive called the context surrounding actions by Trump and supporters over the course of an election and, frankly, the last four years. Actual statement. In the meantime, here's our quick take. The decision on whether to pull the particular tweet or use that as a last straw for Trump depends on many factors, including one, the overall context and narrative in which the tweet lives. We currently analyze tweets and consider them at a tweet-by-tweet -tweet basis, which does not appropriately take into account the context surrounding. You can use the yelling fire in the crowded theater example. Context matters. And the narrative that Trump and his friends have pursued over the course of this election, and frankly, the last four plus years, must be taken 
taken into account when interpreting and analyzing that tweet. The larger question is around our moral imperative and decision as a company, which user sentiment should not drive based on one. And they edited it. And I believe that tweet does violate. The bulk of the internal debate leading to Trump's ban took place in those three January days. However, the intellectual framework was laid months preceding the Capitol riots. Before J6, Twitter was a unique mix of automated rules-based enforcement and more subjected moderation by senior executives. As Barry Weiss reported, the firm had a vast array of tools for manipulating visibility, most of all which were thrown at Trump. As the election approached, senior executives, perhaps under pressure from federal agencies, which whom they met more as time progressed, increasingly struggled with rules. After J6, internal Slack showed Twitter executives getting a kick out of intensified relationship with federal agencies. Here's Yoel Roth, very boring business meeting that is definitely not about Trump. Pretty much, definitely, definitely not meeting with the FBI, I swear. The initial reports are based on searches for docs linked to prominent execs. They include Roth, Gata and Baker, who just got shit canned for manipulating even this getting out. One particular Slack channel offers unique window into the evolving thinking from 2020 and early 2021. On October 8, 2020, executives opened a channel called U.S. 2020 Enforcement. Through J6, this would be a home for discussions about election-related removals and especially ones that involved high-profile accounts. Actual quote. Starting tomorrow, October 9th until November 15th, this channel will be used for the election. High-profile accounts, escalations that potentially require PLL soft interventions, scalable solutions, edge cases, highlight tech issues, bugs, tools, outrage. This is an enforcement channel between T and S and TWS to help speed up our response. Get will start providing a handover starting APAC shift tomorrow, Friday, October 9th. Next shift, all these acronyms for the stupid groups. Can you please make sure everyone on your team is aware of this. There was at least some tension between safety operators and larger departments whose staffers use more rules-based process for addressing issues like porn, scam, and threats. The latter group was a high-speed Supreme Court of moderation. Breaking news, 50,000 Ohio voters getting wrong absentee balance, out of control, a rigged election, Donald Trump's tweet. A rigged election would be enough to be in violation, right? If that claim of fact were inaccurate, yes, but it looks like that's true. So they didn't. During this time, the executives were also clearly lazing with federal enforcement and intelligence agencies about moderation of election-related content. While we're still at the start of reviewing the Twitter files, we're finding out more about these interactions every day. Policy Director Nick Pickles is asked if they should say Twitter deflects misinfo through ML, human review, and partnership with outside experts. The employee asks, I know that's been a slippery process. Not sure if you want our public explanation to hang on this. Pickles quite quickly asks if they should just partnership. After a pause, he says, not sure we describe the FBI and DHS as experts. Once again, the left will say this was Trump's administration. We all know since 08, because of Obama, this is one long line of woke. This post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation shows that Roth not only met weekly with the FBI and DHS, but with Office of Director of National Intelligence. 
manipulating free speech. Yola's has checked in. Here's what they say. What's new for you since our last check-in? Hack materials exploded. We blocked the New York Post story. Then we unblocked it, but said the opposite. Then said we unblocked it. And now we're in a messy situation where our policy is in shamble. Comms is angry. Porters think we're idiots and we're refractory. An exceeding complex policy 18 days out from an election. In short, weekly sync with FBI, DHS, and DNI election security. The meeting happened about 15 minutes after the aforementioned hack material implosion. The government declined to share anything useful. Monthly meeting with FBI next week. Roth reports FBI, DHN, DNI is almost factually in self-flagating tone. Some of Roth's later slack indicates this weekly confab with federal law enforcement involves separate meetings. Here's the he ghosts the FBI and DHS respectfully to go first to an Aspen Institute thing, then take a call with Apple. Here's an FBI sends report about a pair of tweets, the second of which involves a former Topekian County, Indiana chancellor and Republican named John Basham claiming between 2% and 25% of the ballots by mail are being rejected for errors. And they took that down, even though it was true. The FBI's second report concerned this tweet, editorial. The Democrats are in the complete panic as their massive push for vote-by-mail is backfiring on them. Two things are unfolding. An unexpected number of registered Republicans are returning ballots. Between 2 and 25% of ballots by mail are being rejected. The FBI flagged the tweet, then got circulated in the enforcement slack. Twitter cited PolitiFact to say the first story was proven to be false, then noted that the second was already deemed non-vile on numerous occasions. The group then decided to apply to learn how voting is safe and secure, labeled because one commentator says it's totally normal to have a 2% error rate. Roth then gives a final go-ahead to process initiate by the FBI. In this, on Monday, October 19th, by Roll Roth, I think we can use the mail-in voting label for this one as is. Examining the entire election enforcement slack, we didn't see one reference to moderation requests from Trump, the Trump White House, Republicans. We looked. They may exist, but they're not there. One tweet from the replies. Yoel Roth, VJ God, and Jim Baker met with the FBI, DHS, DNI weekly monthly to take down the sitting President Trump and suppress voter fraud. Everyone involved is a traitor to America. As hateful letless lynch mob entered the umpteenth month attacking Trump for inciting insurrection, let's remind them of what the same Democrat officials enabled, funded, and bailed out during the summer of love. Spare me your sanctimony. And this is what he tweeted. Democracy was attacked. Democracy came under assault. And that you and I and the whole world saw with our own eyes rioters rampaging, a mob breaking windows, kicking in doors. People were seen looting some of its stores in the area. Fire stingers being thrown. New video shows a woman in a wheelchair punched and sprayed with a fire extinguisher. 
Shots were reportedly fired, and one person was hit by a car. And now the protests spreading to more cities across the country, in Los Angeles and in Denver, including New York City, where police arrested at least 40 people. What they were assaulting were the institutions, the values, the ideals. Fuck you, motherfucker, fuck you. That generations of Americans have marched, picketed, and shed blood to establish and defend. This is a, mostly a protest. That's like five-story tall building right there that's completely engulfed. Yes, now Wendy's, Wendy's is on fire, y'all. More than 30 fires were set the previous night, destroying that third police precinct and businesses. Dousing the flames, trying to save the rest of these businesses from going up in smoke. We went to KB Bala's restaurant. Looters had broken windows and even tried to steal his safe while he was there. Today he watched as his life savings and dreams literally went up in smoke. Minnesota's governor says the state has seen 48 hours of anarchy. The lawlessness, the violence, the chaos. The nation's capital under siege. By some radical faction that may be newly resurgent, but whose roots run old and deep. As night fell, the mood got angrier. So we're now seeing spot fires and looting and a number of businesses being broken into. Everything is destroyed or vandalized, windows broken. They are forming a wall in front of the White House. And the streets surrounding the White House, with no sense of any attempt at de-escalation, there was anarchy with shops and vehicles vandalized at will. Hard to imagine these were scenes playing out in the American capital. Are we going to be a nation that accepts political violence as a norm? We all saw what our nation would look like if the forces who seek to dismantle our democracy are successful. Outside the White House, protesters faced off against police dressed in riot gear and Secret Service. You can't obey the law only when it's convenient. You see, the strength of democracy is the rule of... There has been no investigation to who financed that, who got all the buses for them, none of it. Twitter three, I'll do quick. Create justification to ban Trump. Seek a change of policy for Trump alone. Distinct other political leaders express no concern for free speech or democracy. Implication of the ban. The Twitter files reported by Elwood House. Part one, where Matt Talibi documented it. Part two, where Barry Weiss shows. Part three, where Matt Talibi documented how senior Twitter execs censored tweets. For years, Twitter had related, resisted calls to ban Trump, blocking a world leader from Twitter. It wrote in 2018, worldwide information, important information and hamper necessary discussions around the words and action. But after the events of January 6th, the internal external pressure on Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey grows. Former First Lady Michelle Obama, tech journalist Carrie Wisher, ADL High Tech VC Chris Sacha and many others public call for Twitter to permanently blame Trump. Dorsey was on vacation in the French Polynesians a week of January 4th and 8th. He phoned in the meeting but also delegated much of the handling of the situation to senior Jack Yoel Roth, who is a fucking pussbag. 
As context is important to understand, the Twitter staff and senior execs were overwhelmingly progressive. In 2018, 2020, and 2022, 96%, 98%, and 99% of Twitter staff political donations went to Democrats. And it's not a little bit of money. 2022 alone, 185,000. 2020, That's even more than Facebook, who ran polling stations. Do we remember? I remember. All right, I had a power surge. Sorry about that. On January 7th, Jack emails employees saying Twitter needs to remain consistent in its policy, including the right of users to return to Twitter after temporary suspensions. After Roth resurges employees that people who care about this are, aren't happy with what we are. Jack's email has been fine, but ultimately I think people want to hear from Vijat or Dell or someone closer to the specifics of this who can reassure them that people who are about this are thinking deeply about these problems and aren't happy with what we are. A few engineers have reached out to me directly about it, and I'm chatting with them, but it's so clear they want to know what someone is doing something about this, and it's not what we're ignoring here. I think there's also an opportunity to help people understand that while it seems obvious that and simple that we should permanent ban his personal account. We can't afford to take that immediate action without first playing the move out and anticipating all the other things that can happen. Around 11.30 p.m., Roth DMs his colleagues with news that he's excited to share. Guess what? He writes, Jack just approved repeat offenders for civic integrity. The new approach would create a system where five violations result in permanent suspension. Direct approach would be something like labels which are severe enough to result in disabled engagements occur. Strike one, label only, strike two, label only, strike three, label plus 12 hour, strike four, label seven, day, timeout, strike five, perm. Progress, exclaims a member of Roth's Trust and Safety. The exchange between Roth and his colleagues makes clear that they had been pushing Jack for greater restrictions on the speech Twitter allows around election. The colleague wants to know if a decision means Trump can finally be banned. The person asks, does this incitement to violence aspect change the calculus? Roth says it doesn't. Trump continues to just have his one strike remaining. Roth's colleagues query about incitement to violence heavily foreshadow that will happen the following day. On January 8th, Twitter announces a permanent ban on Trump due to the risk of further incitement of violence. On J8, Twitter says its ban is based on specifically how Trump tweets are being received and interpreted, but in 2019, 2019 Twitter said it did not attempt to determine all potential interpretations of law. The only serious concern we found expressed with Twitter over the implication of free speech and democracy of banning Trump came from a junior person in the organization. It was tucked away in a lower level Slack channel known as Site Integrity. This might be an unpopular opinion, but one off ad hoc decisions like this don't appear rooted in policy or, in my humble opinion, a slippery slope. And they said this is stupid, but they didn't give a fuck. This might be unpopular. Okay, Twitter employees use term recall from Twitter too. And Barry Weiss, according to Twitter staff, we control visibility quite a bit. We control the application of our content quite a bit. And normal people do not know how much we do. Twitter employees recognize the difference between their own politics of Twitter terms of service, but they also engage in complex interpretations of content in order to stamp out prohibited tweets. Both immediately DMs and colleagues to ask that they... Roth immediately DMs a colleagues to ask that they add Stop the Steal, a QAnon conspiracy, Kraken to a blacklist. 
Roth colleagues object the blacklisting stop steal risks deamplifying counter speech that validates the election. Indeed, notes Roth's colleagues, a quick search atop stop the steal tweets, they are progs. But it turns out that even blacklisting Kraken is less straightforward than they thought, that because Kraken, in addition to being a QAnon conspiracy theory based on the mythical Norwegian sea monster, is also the name of a cryptocurrency. Employees struggle with whether to punish users who share screenshots of Trump's deleted J6 tweet. We should bounce these tweets with a strike given the screenshot violates policy. They are criticizing Trump, so I'm a bit hesitant. What if a user dislikes Trump and objects to Twitter censorship? The tweet still gets deleted, but since the intention is not to deny the election results, no punishing strike is applied. If there are instances where the intent is unclear, please feel free to raise. Around noon, a confused senior exec as advertising sales sends a DM to Roth. Sales exec, Jack says we will permanently suspend Trump if our policies are violated after 12-hour account lock. What policy is Jack talking about? Any policy violation, Roth says. So it looks like Roth is the one that pushed for this. What happens next is essentially to understand how Twitter justified banning Trump. Sales exec, are we dropping the public interest policy now? Roth, six hours later. In this specific case, we're changing our public interest approach for his account. An ad exec is referring to Twitter policy of public interest exceptions, which allows the content of elected officials, even if it violates Twitter rules. Roth pushes for a permanent suspension of Matt Getz, even though it doesn't quite fit anything. It's kind of a test case for rationale for banning Trump. I'm trying to talk to Twitter safety into removal of a conspiracy to incite violence. Around 2.30, comms exec DM Roth to say they don't want to make a big deal of QAnon ban to the media because they fear if we push this, it looks like we're trying to offer up something in peace of the things everyone wants, meaning Trump ban. This Yul Roth guy is just plain horrible. And he is. I'm not going to read anymore. You see it. They were for banning conservatives. That's what they were for. They don't care. Everything's violence if you just want to shut people up. Don't forget one key point. A major reason Democrat liberal journalists and their followers will never think about that it's a big deal that the U.S. security state and big tech are aggressively censoring the Internet is because they favor this. They want more. And if you look at this, they're 100% for it. We now know because of the Baker filing, he was part of Russia, Russia, Russia. He was here. He was all for it. All for it. All in. It's all about censoring free speech because free speech doesn't make anything. It's absolutely utterly insane that Yoel Roth held the role he did at Twitter leading decisions about censorship, moderation, and disinformation. We're talking about someone whose lack of commitment to core principle free speech seems matched only by his ignorance of them. You write a dissertation on Grindr, a primary research prong of which is using your personal Grindr account daily for 2019-13, and a few years later you're making policy decisions about what disinformation is. We then are starting to get these floating out. Former Twitter employee shares 
Exclusive details with me on AI access to DMs and more. Database searches of purpose, tracking actions of tweets, etc. We had probably hundreds, if not thousands, of database, each with several tables. Okay, so the raw data existed in a guano table in such databases. They were called guano because they had dirty, non-formatted data. You could also make notes in them if tweets were actioned, meaning we marked it same way it would have guano entry. Doctor, sometimes TLDR, sometimes we would make take notes on a tweet and then note would be collected in the guano table. So guano is, as I define, let me know if that's not clear. Testing is when you have a machine learning algorithm and want to test to see how good the job it did. How does Twitter approach training data in AI? It predicts Twitter Spaces data could be used to train models. Can any employee read user tweet DMs? Yes. What protocol was in place for accessing confidential user data and direct message? There was none. They can do whatever the fuck. They had access to everything, and they can go in and do everything, and they could write everything as violence. And once again, this is a private company, so they can do it. But now we know the FBI, DNI, CIA, DHS... Everybody was on board. Andy NGO, and I don't know if I got this slide or not. No, that's Ted Lou. Let's let's look at what Ted Lou says. Elon Musk, as Barry Weiss clearly describes, the rules are enforced against the right, but not against the left. Ted Lou, this post by Elon Musk assumes the right and the left are somehow the same. We're not. Folks on the right side of COVID was a hoax. Folks on the left side, it was not. Twitter absolutely had the right to enforce rules against COVID deniers. No, they didn't. And the NGO, exclusive Barry doesn't name too many names, but the head of Twitter's strategic response team when secret actions were taken to stifle conservative accounts happened under Jeff Carlton, who also worked for both the CIA and FBI. Trying to get to where I'm at. I had so many stuff. Three of us resigned from Twitter Trust and Safety Council. Erle, Podesta, Leslie, and me. Here's why. And I'm going to read just one of these. just to see. It's important to understand what we're fighting, boys and girls. These are the people we're flying. Members of Twitter Trust and Safety Council resigned in protest against Elon Musk's safety message to date. We are announcing our resignation from Twitter Trust and Safety Council because it's clear from research evidence that contrary to claims by Elon Musk, the safety and well-being of Twitter users are at the decline. The question has been on our mind, should Musk be allowed to define digital safety? and he has the freedom of expression? Our answer is categorically no. You may own the company, but you're too middle of the road. We can't have you making decisions. Uh, Era Abdurrahman and Ann Collier has been a member of Twitter Trust and Safety since its inception in 2018. 
Arata was the first female representative from Asia and served as a council child sexual exploitation prevention advisor group and has been working with social blah, blah, blah. We know that even after resignation and dismissals of thousands of employees, there are people working at Twitter who care about reducing hate speech and protecting users on the platform. We are deeply saddened by the decision because Twitter has been a place of joy for many of us, as you saw in that great video from Tucker where they just got to live like they could. Um... Council members interacting with the professional networks and supporting the public discussion about our respective passions. Despite a lack of acknowledgement in the part, I'm not even reading this. Fuck these goddamn people. Fuck them and their fucking asses. Um, they're just, they're horrible humans. They don't believe in free speech. They, they, they just don't. Lib Journo won't stop digging in after Stephen Miller bust him on Twitter 2 violation. Matt Binder, everything that Barry Weiss is currently breaking as part of Twitter file 2 has been reported. No, it wasn't. This tweet for Yoel Roth that I read should be jail time for all the people. The post about Hunter Biden's laptop situation with the DHS. This is a violation of everything. All these are violations. There's the amount of time our media spent on it. Zero. Nobody's even covered it. Ben Collins, which I don't know. Did I get the Ben Collins? No, I didn't. Ben Collins, we've been covering a lot lately because he's a gay guy. They got really upset because another gay guy shot gay people at a gay club. Honestly, I think people are tired of the information war and want to do something else. It's exhausting being angry and hopeless all the time for a decade. Something else might be on the internet, but it's not like the metaverse. It's better. Probably smaller communities. So we now had two long threads presented as if they were revealing some big conspiracy that basically just confirmed a bunch of things the company had already said publicly and showed pretty standard, boring, trust and safety work. What a world. And that's 100% false. Russia is covering. I couldn't get the soundbite, but they're, they're covering it as a joke. Um. Josh Hawley, it is hard to count the number of lies Twitter exec told us an oath. See, that's the thing about this. We're not learning anything new. Yeah, we are. We're learning that they lied. And I got to be quite honest. I don't even think Jack Dorsey knew. I don't think he knew. I think it's Joel Roth was off the reservation just doing what he wants because he's a super gay guy and he's very sensitive. Joss Hawley again. Did Twitter deliberately suppress the speech of a candidate for president without basis? Yeah. And there's Twitter giving conspiracy theorists, Democrats, 100 free pass. It's even worse than we thought. And let me predict right now how many Capitol Hill reporters will show any interest in it. Zero. And a dude show a bunch of white liberals with Nancy Pelosi taking photos. Christopher Rufo looks at Yoel Roth's academic publication and concludes dude's research background is wild. And I'm not, I'm not even reading it. I, I'm, I'm just not going to read it. Um, this literally shows that 
This was worse than we thought. And that's why I'm making a big deal about it. And that's why I'm reading it. This was worse than we thought. And I, 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 I behoove liberals out there. What if it was on the other foot? What if Donald Trump changed 80 voting laws without legislation, ballot harvest, stopped counting in five districts, then dumped huge votes just for him and nobody else, and won in all those five districts to get it, regardless of the 8 million or 6 million more votes he got? Um, That's in California and shit where they let illegal immigrants vote now. And... Fox News and Facebook and Twitter and Google and YouTube and Instagram are all conservative and they suppress conservative thought. What do you think would happen? And I'm going to go back in time because I played this on the show. But anybody that has been with the show, after this, I said they'd be doing this stuff. Because they knew, just with Google algorithms, you can turn the electorate by 8%. That's just science. And this is what Google said in 2016. Okay, folks, I know this is probably not the most joyous uh, TJF we have had. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, let's face it, most uh, people here are uh, pretty upset and pretty sad for uh, because of the election. Um, but there's another group, a uh, small group that we should also think about who are very excited about the legalization of pot. Uh, um, I was asking if we could serve joints outside on the patio. Apparently. Apparently, these things take a little while to take effect. It's a huge, huge disappointment. Um, I've been bemoaning that all week, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, on a more uh, serious note, you know, myself, um, uh, as an immigrant and a refugee, um, I'm, I certainly find this election uh, deeply offensive. and. I know many of you do too, um, and and I think it's a very stressful time, uh, and it uh, conflicts with many of our values. Um, I think it's uh, it's a good time to reflect on that, and uh, you know we're gonna uh, hopefully uh, share some thoughts uh, today. Um, I guess you know there are two dominant um, you know, reasons to be upset. One is because you know, so many people uh, apparently don't share uh, many of the values that we have. 
Um, I mean, I guess we've known that for many months now. I mean, it's not like, you know, in election terms, whether it was like 47.2% or 48.2% or whatever it was, um, and it's always been uh, a lot of people that uh, apparently feel that way. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly confronting it firsthand um, is, uh, is pretty up. Um, okay, with that uh, audience question, yes. Yeah, so with rapid technological progress, we've seen that like policy and regulation have not been able to keep pace with technological developments. And as that accelerates, we're going to see even more fundamental societal change on top of what we already have. And I have concerns that this administration is going to have a very hard time addressing that. So how do we, as a leader in tech, help make sure that policy and regulation can even potentially keep pace with technological progress and that people aren't getting left behind. Strategies driven by what makes sense for users and core to our mission. Um, tax is an output, not an input. Uh, we would like to see comprehensive tax reform. That that's something that we've been advocating for quite some time. You know, we've said we've, we'd like to pay more tax. There's, we get criticism for taxes, but we're following all of the rules as they are. And you just can't send in a check. And so reputationally, the question is, why don't you do more? Well. Our answer and the answer of you know, many people who have been thinking about this is we need comprehensive tax reform. That being said, that 15% rate that he threw out is a lot lower than what any de Democrats or Republicans have previously proposed. And I frankly think it's too low because we need revenue so we can invest in this country and do things like infrastructure spend and education and health care and the list goes on. So I'd say comprehensive tax reform is good. It would be nice if it got to be a sensible level so we can do things for the people who actually need us to invest in them. But it doesn't change strategy. And audience question, yes. Uh, so there's a lot I love about this company, the values, the people, um, what we stand for. But one of the other amazing things about Google is its reach. You know, the products we make can overnight sometimes touch millions, billions of lives. But if you look, America's vast. I mean, it's 44 hours from Boston to San Diego by car, according to Google Maps. And the world's a lot bigger than that. And um, people feel left out of, I think, the tech wave as much as they do about the policies of uh, the last administration. And I think that's what's led to a lot of the decisions you've seen. Google can, has so much they can do to educate and empower to help people access information and tools to make them more informed citizens and more successful. Um, and as Kent said, all politics is local, so sometimes the, the answer is to really get boots on the ground. But when I think about what Google does best often, it's the high-scale, low-touch efforts. Um, and seeing how this election worked, it makes me think maybe the opposite is, is needed too, that high-touch, low-scale. So my question to you, my charge is, is Google willing to really invest in, in grassroots, super hyper-local efforts to bring tools and services and understanding of Google products and knowledge to all these communities far flung around the US and the world so people can really be informed citizens and make the decisions that are really best for themselves and their countrymen. Yeah, I use some Wayne World. So let's do a little bit of woke without a bump real quick. This is the Secretary of the Army, a useless fucking piece of shit. And one more thing, Haley, I would emphasize is I think um, 
more broadly in terms of you know soldiers coming from um, marginalized communities or you know demographics that are not widely represented in the army that's part of why we've got to emphasize positive command climates and inclusion you know we get criticized frankly sometimes for being woke I'm not sure what woke means I think woke means a lot of different things to different people um, but First of all, I would say if, if woke means, you know, we are not focused on war fighting, we are not focused on readiness, that doesn't reflect what I see at installations all around the country or overseas when I go and visit. Fucking horse shit, lady. You're full of fucking shit. Here's uh, some racist motherfuckers. Um, I'm sorry, conservatives have been using Hunter Biden's addiction against his father for years now. Now Ted Cruz's open homophobia may have harmed the mental health of his bisexual daughter. Is out of bounds. No, no, no. You don't get to do that. It's really something how Chelsea Clinton, Clinton managed to overcome the utter horrors inflicted upon her by the Republican attack machine when she was a minor. Gar, gar, gar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut the fuck up. Fox fucking news covered this and they question... How is Noel Roth really a journalist? And in this soundbite, I'm going to ask the same question. Talk to us, because I know that you've been talking to a lot of folks um, employed by Twitter. What are they telling you? What does the separation also look like, the details of that? Sure. Uh, so the most important thing that Twitter employees want to stress is that the company is a nightmare right now yeah. and it, you cannot work there. And the website is built on sticks and it might fall apart. So how is it cards? Um, if it falls apart by Tuesday, we're in trouble in terms of getting election information out there. The other thing they're warning to me about, oh. by the way, to regular people, like you yeah. know, this is the thing. These people have lost their jobs and this is what they're worried about right now. On Tuesday, uh, on, mon on Monday, let's we'll start on Monday. On Monday, anybody can maybe buy a verification badge, right? Verif verified check. Right. Yeah. You could go and pose as anybody, an election official, a uh, public figure, whatever. And there's, they've cut the moderation staff so severely that there's no way they're going to catch up in time to these lies. Wow. So using Twitter as a trustworthy source of information on Tuesday is going to be a nightmare. That's what people inside of Twitter or people who just got laid off, some people who are still there are warning about because they go and talk to Elon who is deeply out of his depth, objectively. And they don't know what's going to happen next week during the United States elections. So who is the person, what is the entity that helps identify that Twitter will no longer be a viable source that we have looked to for, for so long going forward? Because we are in the age of misinformation. I mean, the timing could not be worse for all this stuff. The entity is us. We're going to yeah. learn the hard way on Tuesday if if he does this by Monday. And he wants to. He's, he, says, he says he wants to ship this product by Monday. Uh, this is a way to get $8 out of lots of users. Um, we're going to see what happens. I, I'm, I don't mean to sound the alarm quite so severely here, but this could be really bad. It's just like Google. What you're dealing with is people that are so invested in their identity that that has taken over everything. And my identity had nothing to do with my job it's not supposed to rebecca jones if you go back in the way back machine was the one that was trying to take down to and she got caught altering covid data well she also is caught accessing the public emergency system 
This chick's going to jail. VA schools not only letting tranny dudes with uh, chicks with dicks rape girls, they're going back for the Satan Club because, you know, probably not a religious one, but there's a Satan's Club. Two sound bites I want to play. Uh, well, let's do the racist stuff first. Sara Rara, um, once again, the, these people are fucking garbage humans across the board. Yashar Ali, why liberal white women pay a lot of money to learn over dinner how they are racist. A growing number of women are paying to confront their privilege and racism. We covered that. Rare to dinner has a message for the legion of white people. To the legion of white people claiming we are racist towards white people, there is no such thing as reverse racism. End. Oh, yeah, there is. We see it every day on our TV. We, we see it every day on our TV. It's, it's fucking everywhere. It's what our world is. Two gay sound bites. One is going to be, oh, my God, I don't even know how to classify this person. And then a gay man tearing up a school board. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. No child is born in the wrong body. I am not oppressed. I am not silenced. I am a gay man. My name is Frank Rodriguez. Today I represent two families of mine within Redlands, as well as my own. I am here today because of two reasons. One is to protect children against the idea that they can, in fact, change their gender. This is because gender is rooted in your biology. However, gender expression is not. How you choose to express yourself is your own choice. Society should just simply be nice to everyone. However, lying... Lying and stating that a man in a dress is a woman is delusional by definition. Not only delusional, but this ideology is dangerous to children. Despite what you may want to believe, children are in fact taking chemicals to alter their bodies. That's not delusional, it's reality. Despite what you may want to believe, children are in fact getting gender-affirming surgeries. That is not delusional, that is reality. These children are starting a a journey of judgment that you placed on them. By pushing kids to question their gender, question their sexuality, and question whether or not their parents are on their side. Therefore, the word predator is being used in the context of grooming, not because he or she is gay, but because the idea that gender is fluid, because in reality, it is not. It is a danger to children for the reasons that I stated above. Gays Against Groomers has educated the public on numerous occasions on what we stand for, and I will echo that here today. Gays Against Groomers is a coalition of gay people who do not stand for the sexualization, medicalization, or indoctrination of children. What adults do with their body is up to them. But leave the kids alone. The second reason I am here is that this board, especially Jenna, is lacking something that not long ago I was taught by my mentors. That's leadership. Leadership is not what we do, the job we have, or even the position we are elected to. Leadership is who we are, 
how we behave, engage and learn, but most importantly, influence. Councilwoman Jenna Lowry, I respect the position that you hold. I do not respect you. For what you have done to your constituents here in Redlands, silencing people that disagree with you. Our constituents are our job description. When you silence them, you are no longer a leader. You are a dictator. I demand that tonight after this meeting, Jenna, you resign from this position. 20, and this is me dancing around. Those are That's a major national brand paid me to make this ad for them on social media. And I wanted to say two things about it. I'm sure you've seen the hate that Dylan's gotten. Please find this video of Dylan's and watch it. Dylan is an angel, important, intelligent, uh, very, someone I care about very much. And I made the video for two reasons, so that women would feel less stigmatized, so that people who menstruate would feel less stigmatized because to cis men, let's face it, menstruation is seen as gross, disgusting, a joke. And as someone who does not menstruate, I'm non-binary, I don't menstruate. I wanted to help end that stigma if I could. And I also, you notice I don't do a lot of brand deals. I did this one because I wanted trans people to feel better and not have, you know, trans men who menstruate and non-binary people who menstruate to not feel double stigmatized around menstruation and being trans. And then the hate came for me. And I want to say something to the ladies of Twitter, especially. We should be working together to undermine the patriarchy. We are not your enemy. The more you fight for your box, the more you are fighting for a hierarchy of one box over the other. We don't want to take womanhood from you. We don't want to tell you what to do. Uh, the, but I know as a non-binary person, the more you police your gender role, the more you are policing the idea that one gender role is the best. It gives me a lot of emotion to talk about um, because I am a feminist and I will keep fighting for your rights, even if you hate me to my core, because women are not second class citizens. I could have any anything, it would be that people just don't hate themselves as much. And I'll continue to do that uh, no matter what happens from here. Thanks for listening. Bye. Well, I hate to literally disagree with this person and play with my new bumper the way back, but here's just two incidents. California or the San Francisco Gay Choir will convert your, your children and that motherfucking Mulvaney dude. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked? funny just this once you're correct we'll convert your children happens bit by bit quietly and subtly and you will barely notice it we'll convert your children we'll make them tolerant and fair we'll convert your children someone's gotta teach them not to hate
this an okay time? You're free? Oh, thank God. Okay, we have so much to cover. First of all, this is my last Domino's before my surgery next week. Oh, surgery's in six days. Can you believe it? And I'm really excited, but I'm a little upset because they said I'm not supposed to eat any carbs or processed foods for like two weeks before surgery. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to eat? That's my entire diet. I don't like healthy food. So I'm a little sad, but um, I'm trying to enjoy this. Also, I always get the pan pizza from Domino's, like the deep pan. And if you aren't getting that, then I don't know what you're doing because it's the best one. You're also probably wondering, what's this hair that I've got going on? It was on a photo shoot today for one of my dream brands, <laughs> but it was giving edgy on the photo shoot. And now it's sort of getting, giving like Cindy Lou Who vibes. And I think I love it. It could be a new staple for me. Um, I've been in like my photo shoot era. So technically you do want to tell us all what to do and alter us because you want to convert our children and you're using YouTube or uh, TikTok to do it. Sam Britton has talked for by uh, Tucker briefly. The moron wore his little nuclear tie-dye. So it was pretty fucking easy to see his dumb ass steal two times. Media still hasn't covered because he's trans. I mean, or binary. Or I don't know what the fuck he is. He's a fucking ginger, which makes him suspect from Jump Street. And I mean that tongue-in-cheek. So, this is America, since we're so long today, but sorry, there was a lot of content. We're going to see the press secretary, who also got her job because she's black and she's gay, read the wrong answer, because you can't answer a question without reading it off her prepared notes, which is ridiculous. The media losing their shit because now cinema is going to become an independent, but she's still going to cock us with the Dems. And amazingly, we talk about a lot of racism and sexism. And here's Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel donging a woman. And because she's a Republican, nobody finds that bad. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America. Senator Shaheen has a statement. She's apparently not coming to the ball tonight. Oh, okay. She's upset that the president uh, endorsed a proposal to uh, put South Carolina in New Hampshire. And she says that New Hampshire uh, is now vulnerable for her party. Uh, which, does the president have a response to that? So look, um, we, honor, uh, we honor the Hatch Act, as I, as I mentioned many times before here, as we are talking about a potential election, a 2024 uh, uh, presidential election. But looking backward, it is the ultimate irony, uh, you know, uh, that the 2020 election was, was, uh, was proven by the Trump administration's homeland. Oh, sorry. 
I think I got ahead of myself there. <laughs> She has been a major swing vote for a Democrat, a key holdout on parts of President Biden's domestic agenda. And she announced this via tweet just moments ago, saying, I have joined the growing numbers of Arizonans who reject party politics by declaring my independence from the broken partisan system in Washington. I'm told that she did inform Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer just last night. The timing on this is notable. It comes just right after Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock won that critical runoff in Georgia, handing Democrats an outright majority in the Senate. She declined to say whether or not she will continue to caucus with Democrats. So even if the balance of power is not changing in the Senate, this could give Democrats a whole lot less breathing room that they were hoping for. And of course, she's up for re-election in 2024, Eva. Republican who voted nay on gay was Vicki Hartzler of Missouri, who gave an impassioned plea warning us that this bill has us headed down the road to damnation. Well, Mr. Speaker, I'll tell you my priority. Protect religious liberty, protect people of faith, and protect Americans who believe in the true meaning of marriage. I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill. And I yield back. So wait, that woman's not a lesbian? I mean, it's, her mouth may be saying unhinged bigot, but her haircut says, meet my partner, Bev. <laughs> and that jacket, it's like, what if, what if the Fonz was a middle-aged woman living in Palm Springs? <laughs> this is why I looked her up, Vicki Hartzler. She loves a pleather jacket. This is her official Congress <laughs> photo. <laughs> Didn't Dustin Hoffman wear this in Tootsie? <laughs> and what's on that pin she's wearing? Can we? Sadly, this is what we are. We are nothing more than a fascist dictatorship, a third world country, a banana republic. Use your analogy. This is what we are now. Our media no longer wants to report news, they they believe just like Noel, Yoel Roth, Ben Collins, that anything that doesn't coincide with their ideology is violence. So they bend the rules and they rig elections. I know I go back to this a lot. They rigged an election. 80 voting laws changed, no legislation, media didn't even talk about it. Ballot harvesting stopped counts at the same time. Facebook put 500 million, Twitter put 900 million or 900,000 in, excuse me. Because they didn't want a certain president in office. They didn't like... You, your religion, your beliefs, you're evil. People like Sam Brinton are good. We don't even cover his thievery. What, what would happen if a Bush, a Bush or a Trump appointee did what he did? It would be front page news. And Twitter files, cut and dry, 
front to back, soup to nuts, use your analogy, would be front page news. The federal government used, as they're doing right now, the Biden administration is doing it right now, with Mary fucking Poppins, and they're still having their meetings every week. The DNI, HHS, FBI are working with private companies to absurd the Constitution. And we just spent a week, as all this information was coming out, we were talking about Trump and a stupid thing on his whatever fucking site he is, true social or whatever it is, talking about ripping up the Constitution or going around the Constitution. And these people since 2016 have said, we electoral college has got to go, we got to fucking stack the Supreme Court, we got to do this, this, that. They've had a million things they say we should do. A million. They are the fascists. I say it. Most of us say it. But now you saw it. In black and white. And our media betters, who are just this Korean lady, regurging whatever the left wants, are going to completely ignore this story. And if they say it, they're going to do what you saw. Well, we've already known this stuff, or we talked about it. It's not that important. It's not real. And it's unbelievable. It is probably the worst and biggest scandal ever in our country and it will go down as a nothing burger because our media is so invested our institutions are so invested in woke and we could convert your children into little wokesters be it crt be it lgbtqia be it whatever they're gonna just keep doing what they want to do And if you think 2024 is going to be rigged, and if you think 2022 wasn't rigged, my friends, there is no way with this economy and the way things are that Biden should have kept the Senate. But he did. Because those same districts that turned him into a winner in 2020 did the same very thing. Ballot harvesting Arizona has shown that only 25% of fucking tabulators were working. So people couldn't vote. They threw them in a box. They didn't count that shit. People were in long lines. It was Jim Eagle. There's videos all over the place. Media ain't covering it. Because Carrie Lake was mega. And that's as MSNBC said, fascism. This is bad. You cannot have a democracy without freedom of press. And we don't have freedom of press anymore because they're just an extension of the Democratic Party. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. We can find links to everything. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. We're going to go with a 14 December Year of Our Lord 2022 podcast. I'm sorry this is exceedingly long, but there was a lot of information. Share it with your friends, because a lot of people won't ever see this, and they need to. Thanks for listening. Take care.